This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat program. And tonight joined by a very special guest and Jeremy Pruitt, former Tennessee head coach, two-time national championship defensive coordinator. And coach had to be a little different for you. Uh, on a football weekend, not being knee deep in your own preparation, getting to sit back and actually take the game in. What were some things that jumped out for, for you this weekend? Well, the first thing is I didn't have enough TVs, Mike, to watch all the games, but I uh, really enjoyed watching it. But I, I believe um, if you look at really the, the probably the, the, te- the two teams that looked the best Saturday, uh, Alabama and Georgia, um, <clears throat> what's the two things that are consistent with them? The head coaches. Their staffs, they've been there for a while. Um, I think now you also look at two teams that kind of stuck out to me in Oregon and LSU that have, have hired really good football coaches and good staffs. It takes a little while to put your fingerprints on a program, and I think both of those programs will continue to improve as the season goes. Yeah, no doubt. And, and let's just start with that. I mean, Kirby Smart and George, I mean, we just got done talking with Kirby this afternoon, and of course, we thought it looked perfect, a 49-3 to win. You score on your first seven drives, but you know as a football coach, he gets in that film room and he's telling us there's all sorts of mistakes to fix and he wants to keep that sense of urgency. Dan Lanning told us after the game, he wanted to play that game on the perimeter. And, you know, you look at the, the checklist, Coach. I mean, you know, Oregon outrushes Georgia. They protect their quarterback. He doesn't get sacked. Georgia doesn't have any plays over 40 yards. And yet you look at the scoreboard, it's 49 to three. One, why did Dan want to force that game and play it on the perimeter? And two, what went wrong for the Ducks? Well, just looking for loose plays. I, I think Georgia's really strong up the middle. Uh, you know, number 88, if you can find somebody in college football that can block him, good luck. Uh, he's been very hard to block since he's gotten there. Um, so I, I think looking for loose runs out on the perimeter. Uh, and then just just turning the ball over, um, you know, I, I think you look at the consistency that that Georgia has. Um, Georgia's a team that can beat you three ways. They can number one, they they're going to play good defense. Kirby Smart's the head football coach, but now they've got one of the more explosive offenses in college football, and they're going to be good on special teams. So they can win a game ten to nine, or they can win a shootout now. So that makes them really dangerous. You've prepared for a Stetson Bennett team before, and of course Stetson maybe with his best performance ever uh, against uh, Oregon the other night. I mean, he got the ball out quickly on the perimeter, also made some different sorts of throws. What have you seen in terms of the maturation of Stetson that that you saw Saturday versus maybe the one you saw a couple years ago? And and what makes this Georgia offense with Todd Munkin uh, so tricky and difficult to defend? Well, they've got good players uh, on at every level. Um, and then Todd has done a really nice job kind of developing uh, Stetson. Uh, you can see the confidence that he has in him. He does a really nice job getting the ball to all the different playmakers. You know, the thing about Georgia, they can line up with three tight ends. They can line up with multiple running backs. They could line up with no running backs and no uh, tight ends and, and be dangerous. So, um, I think it starts up front with their offensive line, um, being able to uh, change the line of scrimmage and, and protect the, the quarterback position. But, 
it'll be interesting watching them moving forward. I mean, they had a really good, efficient week this week, and can they sustain that over the course of the season? Yeah, no doubt. Kirby Smart, you know, Georgia fans thinking that maybe a dynasty could be in the making here. I mean, you've been at the University of Georgia before. You understand the talent in state. I think you were at the forefront of some of the ideas for uh, new facilities. Kirby's got those now to recruit to. And, and you know, I hesitate to say they've reached the Bama level, but they did finally beat Alabama last year. Let me skip over to Tuscaloosa. 55 to zero coming out of the gate. I think we all knew they would beat Utah State, but coach, you've been a part of that Nick Saban staff. You've been in the middle of that culture as it was being built. Uh, I I don't want to say that, you know, what's in the water, but the secret sauce, but year after year after year, I mean, what is it about Nick Saban that separates him that's, that's made him the greatest coach of this current era? Well, I think you can look at what's going on in Georgia right now. They, Georgia and Alabama have the best players in college football. You can look on draft day, uh, not to take anything away from anybody's coaching. They've got really good players. Both both places have put together really good staffs. Um, in Tuscaloosa, again, just like in Athens, Georgia, they're going to play really good defense. But the thing about both teams now is they can score 50 points any game. Uh, so winning those old – Dog fights 10 to 9, 13 to 10. Uh, they're, they're kind of a thing of the past. They could still do it, but now you, when you get ready to play both teams, you better get ready to score a lot of points. You say that you were the Alabama defensive coordinator in 2017. Some people have ranked that. I saw ranking that, that some people thought that was the greatest defense of, of the modern era, and yet you still had an explosive offense at the same time. We've seen Nick Saban evolve maybe from the game manager quarterback of a Greg McElroy. Now we're seeing Bryce Young do miraculous things as a defense and a defensive coordinator. Is there an adjustment period? How do you manage that when you've got such an explosive offense and the tempo of those games can pick up so quickly? Well, I I think there's a little bit um, to me, just watching the game Saturday. um, I feel like to beat Alabama or Georgia, you're going to have to score 30 points. Um, and when you look over the years of, of coaching against Nick and coaching against Kirby, how many times do their defenses give up 30 points? You know, so um, maybe that wasn't the way it was several years ago. So playing both of those teams now, you're going to have to score some points. And, and just me looking across the SEC, how many teams out there can do it? Yeah, well, that's a great question. One of the teams that wants to be able to do it and get back to where they once were. And of course, you're familiar with the Florida Gators. You saw them as a a coach at Alabama. You saw them when you were at Florida State. You saw them at Georgia. And now here comes Billy Napier, a guy you coached with, who's now trying to recreate the culture down there in Florida. I've, I've called it the Nick Saban starter kit, but let's face it, there is something to the Saban protégés, yourself included. How important was it for Billy Napier to get that opening win at the Swamp? And Anthony Richardson looks to be a dynamic playmaker. Is there anyone you would compare him to that you've seen in your years in the SEC in college football? Well, just to start with, Mike, I thought that was a phenomenal win for Florida. I believe if Florida and Utah played 10 times, Utah probably wins eight of them. Uh, But Florida uh, won the game. Anyway, and they found a way. I thought Billy done an outstanding job offensively staying out of negative plays. He moved the quarterback in the pocket, a lot of quick game. Um, 
you know, I felt like that, that they've got a lot out of their offense. I think if you look on the other side, I thought they played good defense, but I thought something that showed up in that game was lack of depth up front. I thought Florida's defensive front got tired, uh, which will be something to watch down the road. Uh, at the quarterback position, um, I thought Richardson played a great game. Uh, to me, a little bit of Deshaun Watson, a uh, guy that can beat you with, with his feet and his, and his arm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see if the Gators can find those play, perimeter playmakers as the year goes on playing those SEC defenses. And uh, certainly they've got a big one coming up this next week against Kentucky. Let me ask you about Mark Stoops. And, and that's a program that when you were at Tennessee, it was kind of a back and forth. We've, we've seen him build a, a very respectable program there with the Wildcats. What are some of the things that Kentucky has to do if they're going to ever win the East Division? And I guess I'll ask you for an early look ahead on Kentucky, Florida, just, uh, you know, maybe kind of offhanded what comes to mind with the Wildcats playing in Gainesville this next Saturday in a very important SEC East showdown. Well, Kentucky has shown that they can win down there. Um, They've they done it the last time they were down there. Um, Kentucky will be hard. To me, I think Kentucky will be hard to score on. Um, Mark is, uh, does a great job defensively. Uh, they've changed it up offensively. I think if you, if you look at that game, it'll come down probably to kicking game and, and probably turnovers. I think it'll be a, a really evenly, uh, matched game. Um, but one thing about it, if you look over the years, Kentucky has won a lot of close games, you know, and I thought that's one of the things when you're looking at as a, a team that you're preparing to play when it gets to one score games, you know, how often are they on top? Uh, Mark has found a way to win a lot of one-score games over the last, you know, five to six years. Uh, and Florida won a, a one-score game Saturday. So I, I look for it to be uh, the same and and uh, probably come down to uh, field goal kicker on one team. Yeah, well, you know, we've got another game that, that, that came down to one possession last year, a place you're very familiar with, Tennessee, going on the road to play Pat Narduzzi, one of the preeminent defensive coordinators out there, a guy that likes that pressure defense, just like you. Reminds me a lot of you, Jeremy. Uh, you're obviously familiar with the volunteers. And I guess I want to ask you about that Josh Heupel offense. I know coaches always laugh when we ask about new offenses out there. And of course, they always say, well, there's really not much new about it. So it's been done other places. But what does Tennessee do differently under Heupel in, what, in this hurry up spread? And what makes it so effective? I think the obvious is how fast they play. Um, you know, the, 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 I don't know the numbers uh, on how fast they're snapping the ball, but it's, it's really, really fast. So that puts pressure on the defense to get lined up. It possibly could, could shrink um, a, a defensive coordinator's call sheet uh, just from being able to communicate it all the way across. They spread you out um, with the alignment of their wide receivers. I think Tennessee – might be the only team uh, east of the Mississippi that can score with Alabama and Georgia. Um, To me, I think if you look at their offensive front, uh, really um, especially uh, the quarterback position, running back skill positions, Tennessee may have as good a wide receivers as anybody out there. Um, And I think the question with their team is, is will they be able to, to win a game 24 to 21? You know, is the defense going to be able to to hold up? I think they need to be opportunistic on defense and stay healthy on both sides. But I look for Tennessee to to go to Pittsburgh and score a lot of points this week. 
I mean, obviously, Josh won seven games last year. He got a lot of accolades for that. As someone who won eight games in a row once in the city of Knoxville, how important is that momentum in that's a big college town? And again, someone that's been there yourself, when you won eight games in a row, uh, you know, there seemed to be a, a, an extra factor to that. Is that big for Josh that he has that going right now? And how important is that for Tennessee Vols? Well, I saw something um, the other day uh, talking about Hendon Hooker, him being 24 years old. Um, I think one of the, the things we, we talked about Alabama, we talked about Georgia, I think it all started with quarterback play. Uh, the same thing goes at Tennessee. I think having an older guy at that position uh, is definitely an advantage for Tennessee and, and Josh. Uh, and and they, they have some guys that's played a lot of ball there, especially on the offensive side. So I, I wouldn't think that matters. I think uh, you kind of get to a point um, in college when you got the maturity that uh, it, it becomes like a job. And I think these guys are kind of like free agent years. They know that this is their last year. Same thing probably with Bryce Young and, and Stetson Bennett, uh, you know, and Hendon Hooker. You know, they're looking for – next year the best way for them to do that is play their best ball right now yeah you know i want to finish it up with with lsu and florida state i mean it's such a compelling matchup sunday night i i don't know everybody's hearts and emotions were were all over the place uh so many opportunities for both of those programs you were the defensive coordinator at florida state when they won a national title you understand the challenge for mike norvell and, and how far the seminoles have made it back you also know very well the LSU culture. I mean, that was uh, that was your arch enemy when you were at Alabama, and, and and to an extent, other places you coached. You understand what Brian Kelly has to work with. Where was your mind going watching that football game? One and then two, kind of take me into the minds of both of those coaches as as you've been in both of their shoes at different points in your career. Well, I thought it was great for Mike Norvell to to get one of those. Uh, one score wins. Uh, I think they at Florida State, they've kind of been on the last couple of years on the other side of that. So it was a huge win for their program beating an SEC West team, uh, which has not been easy for a lot of folks outside the conference. Um, and then, you know, with Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly is a really good coach. Uh, and the, the longer he's there, he's going to continue to develop his philosophy and his play style, and they'll continue to get better at LSU. Yeah, no doubt about it. Winningest coach of all time at Notre Dame. And, and I know every coach is a little bit individualistic with how they talk to their team, Jeremy. And, and obviously you've had your teams as a head coach and as an assistant coach. What does a coach say after a game like that? What is the locker room like after a devastating defeat like that? Well, let me tell you, it's, it's one thing that happens in college football is and, and, and kind of being a I guess on the fan for me, just sitting around watching some around friends and, you know, on Saturday morning at the golf course, everybody that I played golf with was so emotionally charged about their team for that Saturday. Uh, I can tell you this, the coaches, the players, they put tons of time and effort into it. And when they get there on Saturday, I promise you, uh, they don't want to jump off sides. They don't want to miss a tackle. They came there to be at their best. Um, and I think we all have to remember that, uh, and I think all the good coaches do. Uh, so there'll be a lot of corrections that try to take the emotion out of it after it in the locker room, and it's the first week of the season. It's a long season. You can win the first week um, and run the table, you know, but one loss doesn't define any any team, coach, or program, and 
I think it's just a, a starting point, and and you'll see a, a lot of teams that won this week that maybe they they might not improve as much the next week, or you may see a team that lost and really be much better the next week. So it's a long season, and there's plenty of opportunities for everybody out there to have a successful season. No doubt, Jeremy. Can't thank you enough for joining us. Your insights are invaluable. Not many people have been to places, done the things, and, and as a player as well, a Middle Tennessee player, then an Alabama player, uh, icing on the cake, Jeremy Pruitt. Thank you for your time today, Jeremy. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. Welcome back to the show, Mike Griffith here, and obviously just a, a dynamite start to the program with Jeremy Pruitt and his breakdown around the SEC. Uh, really enjoyed that, and, and just some background on that. I've, I've known Jeremy uh, for a long time. Of course, you guys know I was the Alabama beat writer way back in the 90s. Jeremy Pruitt was on that football team. He was actually roommates with Freddie Kitchens, and Freddie Kitchens was the Alabama quarter, and Will Friend, for that matter, the three of them lived together. And Freddie Kitchens now at South Carolina is an analyst, but uh, got to reunite a little bit with Jeremy. I covered Tennessee when he was the head coach. Uh, he had just taken over uh, right before I came up here to Georgia and, and just kind of stay in touch. And Jeremy's a football guy. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, his time in Tennessee didn't end the way he had planned or anybody planned. But, uh, you know, that, that's a football coach moving forward uh, that I think you're going to see. Uh, back in the game very soon. You saw him with the New York Giants for a couple of seasons and uh, now taking some time with his family. So good for Jeremy and his wife and, and his children. But I uh, really appreciated him joining Dog Nation and given what I think is as good a perspective as you're going to get on college football. I mean, think about it. You're talking about a guy that was a defensive coordinator for Nick Saban, was a defensive coordinator here at Georgia under Mark Rick, coached by Kirby Smart at Kirby's side at the University of Alabama. So uh, I take Jeremy's words, uh, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, relevance to what he has to say. I think there's a lot of accuracy to what he says. So that was very interesting to me. I want to recap now uh, Kirby Smart today. It was interesting to watch Kirby operate because, listen, I thought that was one of the best game plans, some of the best player development that I have ever seen. The way Georgia came out of the gate, scored on their first seven drives, uh, that hadn't happened with an SEC team in four years. And then defensively, to keep a really good Oregon team out of the end zone, I think time's going to show that was a really good Oregon football team. That was a talented Oregon football team. You don't outrush Georgia unless you are a very talented football team. Dan's plan was to go outside. I think Georgia anticipated that. I think Todd Munkin knew what was coming. I think he'd gone up against Dan and enough practices and scrimmages to understand that Dan knew that to really get Georgia to play left-handed, you've got to take away the run in the middle of the field. So Dan said, you know what? We're going to challenge him to go on the perimeter. And it was going to be up to Georgia to execute those plays on the perimeter. It would be up to Stetson Bennett to make those throws on the perimeter. And I wrote a story about how on the opening series, Stetson showed us good decision-making that sometimes wasn't there in the past. He threw the ball out of bounds. He scrambled away from Noah Sewell. He showed you 
the dynamic mobility that Kirby Smart likes. He made the third and 11 pass uh, to Marcus Rosemey Jack Sane on a deep out. That's a throw that has not been a strength for him. Stetson showed you the growth on the very first drive of the game. And Dan had to be thinking, uh-oh, you know, this is – we, we we're making these guys play left-handed. We're forcing Stetson Bennett to make plays. It's like Dan Mullen said Sunday night. You know, last year it was kind of like, just don't let Stetson beat you, right? Let's put it on everybody else. This year it's different. And Stetson Bennett showed up as the playmaker, and I thought he really, really made that offense go. Conversely, when the Ducks were on offense, I think a lot of Bo Nix, I think he's extremely talented, and yet he wasn't able to get in the end zone. And you almost wonder if Kirby went to Muschamp, a guy that he's coached against, coached with, and said, hey, Will, if you were playing us, how would you attack our defense? And, and you wonder what types of curveballs that Kirby Smart and Muschamp and Glenn Schumann threw at Dan Lanning and, and Kenny Dillingham, his offensive coordinator. Bo Nix after the game, I went to their post game. I wanted to talk to Bo Nix and, and Dan Lanning and find out exactly what had Georgia done. And, and Bo said, look, that's the same Georgia. I've seen all those things before, but they just do it really well. And so you've got to give Kirby Smart just a ton of credit for this game. He doesn't want it, though. I'm just going to tell you, we sat in there and gave it in his interviews today, and he doesn't want credit. He doesn't want to feel relief. He wants everybody on edge. He said relief leads to complacency. So even though they're going to play FCS Sanford next Saturday, uh, or excuse me, Sanford next Saturday at Sanford Stadium, you better believe that Kirby Smart is over there on that practice field today lighting a fire under these guys. He is not going to allow Georgie to be comfortable. He said there were several big mistakes. He didn't like the tackling. He wasn't pleased with the linebackers, completely pleased with their level of play. He said there's a lot to correct. He said, you know, you feel pretty good about your team until you put the film on Saturday night and Sunday morning and you realize how far you've got to go, right? He talked about the glaring mistakes that young players make. He said, around here, we call them WTFs. And you're thinking to yourself, is this a joke? You're like, no, this is just Kirby, man. He's raw, right? I loved it when I learned that one of their uh, slogans this offseason was, nobody cares. Nobody cares. You want a national title? Nobody cares, right? You're preseason this, you're preseason. Nobody cares. The message was simple. Move on, right? Things can change quickly. So I understand the fan base is excited. They're united. Everybody's happy. Could the dogs make another national title? Kirby Smart has shrunk this down to a micro level. And things over here are not comfortable. And they won't get comfortable. He's going to keep making these players uncomfortable until they can get comfortable being uncomfortable and realize that they have to keep the edge. Complacency, the absolute enemy of the Georgia football program. After this week's game in Sanford, they travel to South Carolina uh, for a true road game. You better believe that Kirby has got one eye on that in the back of his mind, right? I mean, they're going to fix themselves. They're going to work on Georgia, but they know exactly what they're going to have to do at South Carolina as well. And I think some of that is going to be mixed into their Sanford preparation. I want to thank everybody uh, for helping me put this show together. Obviously, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, outstanding guest. I just don't think it gets any better in terms of breaking down and understanding what's happening at Georgia, Alabama, and the SEC. And my producer, Michael Carvel, and obviously all of you. Uh, this wouldn't be possible without you and, and without our tremendous sponsor, Ingles. Uh, Ingles, always there for us, always delivered. Um, and now stay with us because I'm, Dog Nation Daily, 
every day at 10 a.m., right? Jeff Centel on Wednesday nights and um, Connor and Coverage doing its Thursday night thing. So everybody have a great week, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.